I'm E.J. Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. This morning, we're joined by Eckhart Proy, currently music director of the Portland Symphony Orchestra in Portland, Maine, and former music director of the Spokane Symphony. He's back in Spokane to lead the orchestra this coming weekend in the Masterworks 7 concert, and the title of that concert is Welcome Back, Eckhart. And indeed... Welcome back. Well, thank you. <laughs> and as far as this concert even taking place to begin with, the third time's a charm, no? Yes, uh, we attempted this twice. The first time was wiped out clean by the pandemic. The second time we did two rehearsals before it was wiped out again uh, by the pandemic. And here we are again. And this time it looks pretty good. <laughs> and so we have a program of Bruckner, which is kind of the centerpiece. And then that is juxtaposed with Wagner and uh, selections from Tristan und Isolde. Now, your personal history with Bruckner goes back quite a while, or Bruckner's music, I should say. Uh, you discovered him as a teenager, no? Yes. Um, I was, you know, like all teenagers were, are, um, and troubled, um, <laughs> just with identity and, and, and social circumstances, especially in East Germany. And so I found um, solace in his music. Um, I found it very empowering. Um, it made me forget um, the world. Um, and uh, and so I really, really connected with him and with Mahler. So, I mean, I was, it was pretty dark. Um, but, but I found it just, you know, also, also with my, with my uh, chorister background, uh, with my singing background uh, in, in a boys' choir, as was, as was Bruckner. I think there's, there's just a lot um, that we had in common that, that, that I felt understood um, uh, listening to his, to, his, to, to his music and the power of his music. And Mahler was one of those folks who I think, uh, if I remember correctly, kind of stuck by Bruckner and was an advocate of his music when a few other people wanted to maybe jump ship. Um, exactly. As a, um, especially in, uh, for instance, in this symphony that we are going to perform, the symphony number no. three, uh, which has an incredible performance history because the conductor died just a couple of days or so before the first performance. Bruckner conducted himself. Couldn't do it. Of course not. Um, it's a very difficult symphony to play and to conduct. And people were just leaving uh, the hall during the first performance. But the one person also who stayed until the very end was Gustav Mahler. And he was very supportive. I think he really understood the adventurousness, the, the, the novelty, and the power of, of, this, of this music. And when you listen to Bruckner's symphony, you can hear the next step, which is Mahler. And we were chatting just before we went on air about how Bruckner had been championed by Schulte and how Bruckner had been performed by regional orchestras and then kind of fell out of fashion. And so it raises the question of why Bruckner or why not Bruckner. So let's approach that from a general sense. Why Bruckner in general? I find uh, that you know Bruckner is not easy to play. Um, it is it is really music where you need a very strong brass section. You need very very agile and skill strings um, because it's all awkwardly written. It's written by someone who didn't care really about how it was being played by the strings. He was a uh, you know, an organist, and so and, and he, he composes like one. Um, but when you can play it well, and here in Spokane we can. Um, um, then it has an incredible lyrical quality to it, which is very often neglected. So that's that's kind of my my, my focus when when I do Bruckner is on the lyrical aspect of it, because it's easy to play all these big you know monumental brass chorales that are very powerful, um, but there is much 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 more to Bruckner than that. And I find fascinating how he combines also other a little bit further um, astray elements 
in his in his music, like Viennese popular music. You know, he was a direct contemporary of Johann Strauss, and you can hear all the time. You know, Bruckner dances, and and everyone's like, Bruckner dances? Yes, absolutely, he does. You know, or folk music. I mean, literally folk music. Um, all this stuff is in there, and so that makes an incredibly colorful colorful music. But it's 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 really hard to do. It's hard to perform, um, but when it's done well, I think it's incredibly rewarding. And why Symphony Number no. Three in particular? Because this is fairly fraught in that it was his Wagner Symphony became known as that because it was initially so indebted to Wagner, and then even Bruckner wasn't entirely happy with that. Yeah. So so um, this symphony is the one symphony I think that he worked on the longest, like pretty much all his life. When he was when when he composed it. First, it performed it first. Then he worked on it for the next thirty years on it, and uh, until after his last symphony, and it had. And so there are many, many editions, and it it uh, had gone through an incredible uh, amount of changes. And so the, the the main question always is, what version do you play? Because in the beginning there were a lot of Wagner quotes. So he was a Wagnerian. I mean, to to his core, he traveled to Bayreuth. He met the master, almost fell to his knees, and wanted to dedicate the symphony to him and. Wagner picked this one, probably because it had so many quotes by himself. <laughs> I mean, you know, who, who can say no to that? And um, but, but then, you know, as he worked through this piece again and again and again, he took out most of these quotes. It's still audible. The, the Wagner influence is still there. Um, but I, I found that um, he is, is one of his first symphonies where he really found his own voice. Uh, and then the fourth symphony, which we've performed in, in Spokane too, we've performed four, six, seven, um, here and so, so, but but I think this is the first symphony I think where he really stands on his own feet. What is also super interesting is that uh, you know we've um, the Spokane Symphony performs Beethoven's Ninth every New Year's Eve, and there is a lot of influences by by Beethoven. Like the very beginning of the symphony is like it's just a, a more novel version of the beginning of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And I think you can also hear some of this. You know, this was something that our classical music guru Jim Tevenin had pointed out to me that you can hear a lot of Bruckner's organist background informing his symphonies and his compositional style. And you can hear, I think you've mentioned, the, the building blocks of, of, of a Bruckner symphony. And you can certainly hear that and you can hear the, the organ coming through, like the brass section and things. Yeah. Right? I think what is, what is so, so there, there, there's several things to this. So there is, there's one spot in the symphony that always struck me as odd. It sounds like as if it was not together, but it's composed that way. And so I figured he composed a reverb like 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 in church. So so he really composed a reverb. Very incredibly adventurous, I think. Uh, then of course he has these big brass chorales, which is of course, you know, the organist, you know, and this one singular instrument filling a huge space. And then he plays very often with these clean sounds. So just woodwinds just brass, just horns, just strings, and alternates those like as if he was sitting at these different keyboards with different 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 registers and, and you know so so it's 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 very very interesting how he does it. He mixes it too, but there's a lot of these very these different clean sounds that he connects, which Wagner does does too but what what but what I learned by you know doing Wagner and Bruckner together in such uh, proximity is that Yep. And can I just pause you there, Eckhart? Have you paired Wagner with Bruckner on other programs, no. or is this the first time no, you've no, done that? No, no, that was actually actually James Lowe's idea, uh, because I, you know, um, we said, okay, let's do Bruckner. I said, can I do Bruckner, please? He <laughs> says, yes, you can do Bruckner. And then I wanted to do something light, 
You know, I figured, you know, this is an hour symphony. It is, it is, it is a big piece. Let's do something, something light. And said, no, you know what? Let's, let's do some Wagner with that. I'm like, okay. But what I, what I, what I've learned is that Bruckner never wrote an opera, but his writing is incredibly operatic. It is, it's, it's, the music is full of gestures, just like Wagner's is. And always, it feels it has a narrative. You know, it's a, so so it's even though it is it doesn't have a, a story per se to it. It's in, it, it, you always feel a story is being told, and so and I, and I think that's that's what what makes it actually uh, very easy to listen to because it always goes on. It does this, these, these characters come back just like in just like an opera, and they're portrayed musically. And then they interact with each other, and then they separate, and then come back. And so it's, it's it's incredibly interesting to listen to. And one of the things that unites these two very different composers, at least stylistically, certainly, but also in terms of personality, is is ecstasy. So it's 10 a.m. on a weekday. Let's talk about orgasms. Now, you had said that Wagner, this uh, prelude to Tristan und Isolde, is like a composed orgasm. Um, It's aspiring towards ecstasy. I didn't know we could talk about this on public radio. <laughs> so, so, so yes, um, there is, there's, you know, a, 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 so Wagner is famous for, for many things. I mean, and he was very aware that he changed music history. Um, one of the most important things about Wagner and Bruckner is that, you know, he created this concept of the never ending melody. So where there's no resolution to things and it just meanders on, it goes on, it goes on. But what is, what is powerful with this concept is if you build it constantly and it goes on, and it goes on, but it always grows. It's, it's like a little, a little bit like a Ravel Bolero, you know. It's 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 it repeats itself and and the sequence, but it spirals up and it gets more intense. It gets faster, and then at some point there got to be a, an explosion, right? And so in this case of Tristan and Isolde in, in the Liebestod, in the so in the second part, uh, shortly before the end, um, she experiences this very high emotional uh, turmoil, um, and it and it spirals up, and then there is this incredible incredible climax i mean it's incredible and uh and so yeah it's it's definitely you know a very orgiastic experience and so so that is wagner and wagner is famous for that now again playing these two composers back to back what i learned is that you know bruckner was also looking for ecstasy and, and and orgasms but he could not achieve it not at least not in real life he was a very unfulfilled sexually unfulfilled human human being always uh, looked for love in the wrong in the wrong places uh, in the on, in the wrong age range as well <laughs> and um, but 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 was always looking for this ecstasy and so um, especially at the end of the first movement and and the in the Final uh, moment of the of the symphony. All of a sudden, he pulls up. I mean, the, the tempo is going really fast, and everybody just blares, uh, you know, on top of their lungs, really, really fast. Virtuoso music, and it's kind of his way of kind of ending it on a high. And he was always looking for that high. And while Wagner was looking for it in in earthly pleasures, uh, Bruckner was looking it by necessity more kind of in the heavenly pleasures, in the in the orgiastic experience of loving God and 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 getting fulfillment that way. And so this is really compelling music, very gripping music. But you've also said that it's music that allows you to daydream. And this is something that I, as a listener in the audience, I always feel guilty when I do daydream because I'll be listening to a piece and it will spark this flurry of thoughts and I'll find myself heading down an imaginary tangent. 
And, and then I feel guilty because I think everybody's performing for me. I should really, you know, afford them the due respect. But you're almost giving permission to daydream to Bruckner because it does set off these certain flights of fancy. Um, yeah, could you elaborate on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would, I would not expect for myself nor anyone else to sit there for an hour and listen to all the details that are being being presented to you. You know, sometimes it's like it's like with food. Sometimes you just eat it, and then you just your imagination takes takes over. You know, you don't always analyze. Oh, a little bit, but that's about salt, and this was this, and this was you know. So you just you just you just take it, and then your your body and mind does what, what, whatever they they do. And I think it's the same thing with with uh, music. And um, you know what what I like about Bruckner also is is you know his concept of time. The perception of time was very different, you know, uh, at that, you know, like 200, 200, 200 years ago. And so right now, we're always so eager on change, on fast change. Um, and what this music allows us to do is really just to sink in and uh, and and just and just and just be still for an hour and and just and just let uh, a, you know our imagination basically take over. Um, I, I I just see this music as stimulation of your own imagination, your own soul, and uh, and whatever it does to you, it does. And so so I always just feel like when when I listen to this to this music that it takes me places that I never allow myself to go otherwise because just there's no time um, or there's no real a situation where you can go to these to these places deep inside and ex- experience really a lot of very satisfactory um, emotional uh, moments um, and and so 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 yeah um, I I don't want anyone to sit there. And analyze everything we do. That's 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 our job. That's our job to be all detail oriented and be focused at every single second that we that we that we play, in order f- to allow people to do whatever they do when they consume music. And in terms of being detail oriented, now you're being reunited with an orchestra that is, I would say, by and large, very similar to the one that you departed from in 2019, but uh, also has new folks that are a, a part of it as well. And that will clearly change the dynamic to some degree. Are you finding upon your reunion with the orchestra that some of the old muscle memory is there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it is really like you know visiting an old friend. Um, that even though there have been a couple of years in between, um, you still recognize each other and and, uh, and and you appreciate each other and you recognize your strengths, your mutual strengths, and you also find the trust again that is so crucial between a conductor and an orchestra, and um, and mutual understanding, you know, uh, and and so so it's it was it has been a really fantastic experience um, performing. Um, and rehearsing with the orchestra again. There's a lot of the same people, so there's a lot of familiarity. There's a couple of new people, but um, you know they're all really great musicians. So so um, they are they are trained to adapt really really really, really quickly, and uh, and I'm and I'm really really proud of the orchestra. It's it's it's, it's really good hands with uh, James Lowe. Um, it's 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 a very high quality group, and uh, and it has been an absolute pleasure uh, working with them. And I think that maybe highlights, as a conductor, two different approaches, because we had Leonard Slatkin in not too long ago, who waltzed in and delivered a magnificent performance, not having met the orchestra before. And yet you have 15 years of history with them. And so that's going to give you a certain baseline of intimacy and responsiveness that he didn't necessarily enjoy. And do you find that that is, um, in your rehearsal so far, is that benefiting the Bruckner? I think it does um, because I think people remember 
what is important to me in terms of sound, in terms of vibrato, and, and they recognize a lot of things. You know, every, every conductor has their own kind of pet peeve or their own things that, that, that is really important to them. Uh, and that's why it's so, so important to have different conductors so that the orchestra kind of gets these different feedbacks and, and, and gets better and not only hears the same thing over and over again. Uh, so that's why it's the same thing with different teachers. I was always encouraged to have different conducting teachers. My conducting teacher says, go out there, go to different teachers, you know, so make it your own. And I think it's the same thing for an, for an orchestra so that there's no boredom or not, you know, this monotony after a while. It's like, I know what you want from us, you know, and then, then they hear something something uh, different. And so, um, yes, there's definitely understanding of, um, of where we are going stylistically, where we are going sound-wise. And, um, and it's, it takes, usually it takes a, lo- a longish time to develop a certain common concept between orchestra and conductor. It takes years. Uh, and now that I've started, you know, with uh, two new orchestras, I know that it takes years to kind of develop this trust and this common concept, this common understanding. And so coming back here and starting right where we left off, that was that's a wonderful experience. Well, it is great to have you back in town. It's great to have you back into the studio. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Vijay. I've been speaking this morning with Eckhart Proy, former music director of the Spokane Symphony, who is reuniting with the orchestra for this weekend's Masterworks Series concert. There are two performances, one on Saturday, March 4th, and another on Sunday, March 5th, both at the Fox Theater in downtown Spokane. Tickets and more information are available at foxtheaterspokane.org.